Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Our text for this Sunday of the Holy Trinity from the third chapter of John. Jesus said, No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And then he goes on to say that God loved the world so that he gave his only begotten Son. That whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Dear friends in our Lord Jesus, on this Sunday of the Holy Trinity, it's thought to possess the power to envelop worlds and stars and other astrophysical matter out there in deep space. I'm talking about the theorized black hole, a supposed celestial object of such extremely intense gravitational force that it attracts and envelops everything near to it and would prevent anything including light itself from escaping. The black hole, a cosmic force, the magnitude and the power of which the human mind simply can't comprehend. If real, the black hole would be for us humans an astrophysical enigma, a mystery. I say if real because fact is one's never been seen before. Never. At least not directly. You see, it's supposed, because light and other energy forms and matter are permanently trapped inside this black hole, and therefore light can't bounce off of it that we might see it or detect it, then therefore it can't be observed directly. It could only be indirectly detected by the effect of its gravitational field on nearby objects like a, a nearby visible star or detectable x-ray or radio frequency signals that are emitted by swirling space matter being pulled in, being drawn in by the force of this black hole, but only indirectly observed. To really know and to really be able to, to tell us, not in speculation, but in truth of, of the anatomy, the makeup of this cosmic force, one would really have to know and study the thing inside and out. To really fully comprehend a black hole, one would have to have been there with his cameras, with his information-gathering instruments to observe, to record the deep things of this galactic power. Otherwise, it would ever only be known by its cosmic fingerprints. Well, Scripture says something similar about the triune God. Certainly, every man can know of a God by God's fingerprints. You look through the telescope into outer space and it confirms the psalmist's long ago observation that the heavens declare the glory of God, the sky shows forth his handiwork. Or you look through a microscope and into the cellular and molecular and even atomic levels of inner space. And these too will confirm what the psalmist also long ago remarked, that, that we're fearfully and we're wonderfully made. In fact, St. Paul reasons this very charge against all unbelief of a God, when he says, For since the creation of the world, God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divinity, are clearly seen, he says. How? By being understood by the things that are made, his fingerprints, so that they, those who would suppress this obvious truth, are without excuse. So even by divine fingerprints, one can know that there's a God out there. 
But who can know the things, the inner things of God, Paul says, indeed, you might say the anatomy of God, or indeed the heart of God. Who can know these things, Paul says, but the Spirit of God? And he reasons this way, he says, what man knows the things of a particular man except the spirit of the man that is within him. True enough, isn't it? Who knows you better than you? But then he goes on to say, even so, no one knows the things of the triune God. No one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. He knows the inner things. The inner things of the God that exists and the God that is. And it's in Holy Scripture that the Spirit of God makes known in part the anatomy, as it were, of God. He tells us that God's eternal, that He's unchangeable and unchanging, that He's omnipotent, all-powerful, omniscient, all-knowing, He's omnipresent everywhere. The Spirit of God tells us in Scripture that God's high and, and transcendent above us and above our best understanding, and yet at the same time, He's also imminently near. So that Scripture says, in Him we live and we move and we have our being. He's deeply loving, but equally holy. Holy, holy. He's three. Scripture tells us, the Spirit of God who knows God, tells us He's three in person. And yet, in His essence, God is but an indivisible one. It's incomprehensible. Even by His fingerprints we observe, and by the Spirit's revelation we've received, still, the Blessed Trinity is to our finite minds an incomprehensible enigma, a mystery. With all of this in mind, on this Holy Trinity Sunday in which we consider the things of God, indeed the nature, as best we can, of the triune God. With all of this in mind, on this Holy Trinity Sunday, I think that the majesty and the obvious gravity of our appointed Old Testament lesson would be what we'd probably expect today. Remember the gravitas of that text? The Old Testament reading for today in, the, in, in a vision, the mortal Isaiah is permitted to steal a look at the immortal God. Remember what he sees from his throne? The Almighty's voice thunders so that the very foundations of heaven's threshold, they shake and they tremble. God's majesty, he sees, is unequal, depicted by the train of his robe filling the entire temple. And sentinel seraphim stand near. Holy though they be, they cover their faces with their wings. They cover their holy faces in the presence of him who is most holy. And one sings, we're told, to another as if in antiphon. Antiphonal, ceaseless praise of the triune God. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's what we might expect to hear today. As we contemplate the Holy Trinity, it's majestic, it's awesome and awe-inspiring. It's also the reaction I think we might expect to hear too when Isaiah, remember a man of unclean life, who lives amid the people of unclean life, 
when Isaiah finds himself in the presence of this holy and almighty trinity. His reaction, woe is me. I am undone. It would be your reaction too, would it not? Mine. If you don't suppose it would be yours, your reaction, then you best think again. If you've been living on the very widely popular notion and fantasy that in his mind God would regard your very best efforts to please him and to live by his law as good enough to put yourself right with God, then you best consider, we best all consider the reality that the Spirit of God, who indeed knows the mind of God, with the Spirit of God has scripturally declared, remember what he declared? No one is righteous, not one. No one is good, not one. No one seeks after God. No one does the things of himself that God would have us do. We've all turned aside, Scripture says. No one's good, Scripture says, but God alone. Now maybe you can't see sin itself with your own eyes. But just look for the evidence of the cosmic force of sin in the fingerprints of your life. Look at the evidence of the things done that shouldn't have been done or the things not done that should have been done or the evidence of sin's obvious change and decay imprinted all over you as you see more clearly every day in the mirror and not only all over you but, but imprinted evidence imprinted all over every human being universally as by the sin of the first man all therefore afterward are born into the sin's black hole, the dark and deadly condition from which no man of his own will or power is able to escape. And so there's no one, no matter age or race or social status, no one who in the presence of the Almighty and the Holy Triune God couldn't say and shouldn't say, woe is me. A very expected reaction in a very expected sort of reading on this Holy Trinity Sunday. But the scene of our gospel reading, which serves as today's Trinity sermon text, the scene from our gospel reading, that's a scene perhaps we wouldn't have expected. doesn't seem to fit the majesty and the grandeur of the day. Because recall it. There's no thunderous voice, no trembling heavenly threshold, no angelic antiphonal praise being sung and spoken. Just a quiet dialogue between two conversers on what's, from all indications, a very average and ordinary Judean night. I think you can imagine pretty well the night it might have been the howl of a distant dog in the, in the evening air, yonder voices talking, laughing, fading in and out of clarity, conversation subsiding one voice at a time as the evening tires and wears on, an infant child in the distance crying because he doesn't yet want to take his nightly rest, crickets singing their nocturnal song, 
And there's these two conversers, Nicodemus and Jesus, sharing in quiet discourse. Might not seem to fit the day, but behold it well. Because it's what it looks like when lovingly the triune God touches and makes contact with sinful man. Indeed, it's who it looks like when the triune God touches and makes contact with sinful man. Because you see, not in his bare holiness that repels and expels and that would completely consume all that's less than holy, but it's in a gentle visitation. God incarnate. An incarnate visitation that through his own proddings and his own extreme patience that he draws a lost and wandering Nicodemus to the light of the truth. You see, it's there in the person. At the heart of our gospel text today, Jesus Christ, the one mediator, Scripture says, between God and man, it's there in that person, Jesus Christ, where and only where the triune God will mercifully have his singular point of contact with sinful man. It's there in Jesus Christ and through Jesus Christ, who certainly doesn't appear omnipotent or divine, and yet in whom the Spirit of God has written, yet in whom the fullness of the Godhead dwells bodily. Who is, Scripture declares, the image, the icon of the invisible God? Jesus would tell Philip, he who has seen me has seen the Father. It's in and it's only through Jesus Christ that God has graciously made his touch point. His singular touch point with all of humanity, sinful mankind. It's only through Jesus Christ that the triune God makes any of us fit to be near and in his presence. And so while today's subtle reading, quiet quiet reading from John 3 might not seem as descriptive as as all of those adjectives, those describing words I unrolled earlier, I rolled out earlier in unfolding the anatomy, as it were, of the Blessed Trinity. Indeed, though this text may not seem as descriptive, indeed, perhaps nothing better reveals to us the inner heart of God than to hear the very Son of God declare to you, God loved the world so that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. While the mysteries, while the Trinity is a mystery, God's heart toward mankind is no mystery at all. It's been declared to you. Indeed, John would say elsewhere, no one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, the only begotten God, John writes, who is in the bosom of the Father, who's been there, who knows God intimately, who is God. He, the Word made flesh, John writes, has declared Him. And what has He declared? Note our text. Note our text, because while they're not important, Jesus points us not to those All those descriptive adjectives like eternal and omnipotent and transcendent. What does he do? Well, they're not important. What does he do in our text? He points us past all the adjectives. And he points us right 
to the verbs. Those verbs that so vividly reveal to us the heart of God. And what does he say? He says, God the Father so loved, verb, so loved the world of man that he created. So loved. Agape sen is the Greek verb, agape. A sympathetic, entirely sacrificial, compassionate love of a higher one for a lower one. God the Father so agape loved this world that he gave verb. Edokin is the verb in the Greek. He gave, it means simply to give as a gift. He didn't lend his only begotten son. He didn't rent him expecting some sort of payment in return. He gave his only begotten son. He gave his son whose divine infinite capacity of his human flesh and blood took our sins into his holy divine body and on the cross with our sins entered into the dark and black hole of God's wrath against all sin. He gave his only begotten son who having died with our sins, all of yours and all of mine, then emerged bright as light from the tomb, overpowering, conquering, the immense downward gravitational pull of sin and death. And God the Father gave His willingly given Son over to the cross. Why? So that whoever believes in Him, whoever by the working of God, the Holy Spirit, through baptismal water in the Spirit, as we heard in the Gospel reading, through His word of revelation, by His Holy Supper, whoever is brought to believe in Christ's all-sufficient work for Him, shall not perish, shall not be enveloped by sin's darkness of eternal dying, but shall have eternal life. What better reveals the heart of the triune God than those God-given, Spirit-given, Jesus-spoken verbs? The Father gave Him, the Son was given, and the Holy Spirit declares him in scripture with black hole kind of things in mind he declares them in this way Christ has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of his love the inner heart of the blessed trinity has been revealed to you in conclusion I'd say this I suppose that if one were to recall to bring to mind an image that might sum it all up. It might be one that I've seen. Maybe some of you too have seen. Especially if you, if you surf cyberspace on the internet. It's an internet website that intends to show the viewer the, the scope of human insignificance. In this vast universe in which we live. The image begins with the smallest components of the human body. And it pans ever outward from there. Beginning with the smallest components of the human body, it pans outward, then showing the man, then showing the community in which he lives, then showing the continent upon which he lives, the world in which he lives, the solar system in which he lives, the galaxy in which he lives and beyond. It's quite a, quite a, a graphic way to convey, man, convey man's relative size and significance 
to the incomprehensible vastness of our universe. But my friends, I tell you, the sermon text from John and what it reveals of God the Holy Trinity, it throws all of that sequence of significance into reverse. Indeed, this triune, this almighty God, he has galaxies to orchestrate and maintain. He has solar systems to govern, supernovas and distant nebulae and red dwarf stars to energize and contain, planets to orbit, galactic light to radiate and heat to moderate. And yet this God, this God so loved the world right down to you. And me, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish. The promise of an infinitely powerful God shall not perish, but have everlasting life. The Holy Trinity is a mystery. His love for you is not. A blessed Trinity Sunday to you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.